Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Unavoidable, and it's not your fault that what we think is what we are, and what we are is what we think. What we do and how we do it comes from what we think. And we are the only ones who get to choose what we think. So we are encouraged in Scripture to take authority over our thoughts and subject them to Jesus, and we'll look at all of that. I want to look in this second session again just at how to understand what your particular worldview is and why you have that worldview, um, because it's important we understand where we come from before we can begin to influence others. In the, in the whole discipling process, that's true. So there are four predominant worldviews. There's biblical theism. There is secularism. There is animism. And I've added into that Islam because it's become more and more evident, particularly uh, where we live, but also uh, in Europe. Um, you know, the Islamic world is taking over, and their worldview is its very different um, and would have huge consequences as a result. So we need to understand those, and we're going to just have a quick look at those four different large worldviews and try to understand where yours is um, and how you fit into that picture. The first one I want to look at is biblical theism. This is the biblical worldview. This is what we're trying to emulate. This is what we're trying to inculcate into our very being so that we will become people who live as Jesus said we should. And it's about a personal relationship with a personal God who has made himself known through Jesus Christ. That, that's at the heart of, a, of the biblical worldview. And he reveals himself to us through the Holy Spirit and through the Bible itself, okay? both by the Holy Spirit and the Bible, making both himself and his ways known to us. He has not hidden his ways from us. It's clear in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit leads us. Now, because God exists, an objective reality exists that's known and has been established by God, and reality is ultimately personal because the ultimate person has established it. And that's a foundational understanding of Christian, Christianity so, to some measure and a biblical theism. Secularism, which we have all been very, very deeply influenced by in the setting that you find yourself in and the one that I come out of. Largely because of the schooling system, largely because the world has got hold of that which influences in the media, in the schooling system, and as a result, coming through parents and through the society in which we live, the secular worldview for us is, is dominant. That's not true when I share on biblical worldview in Kenya, in the Rift Valley somewhere. Their influence has been very, very different. All right, But for us, that's what it is. And what it says is this. It says that reality is ultimately physical, Here's the important thing about secularism. There is no spiritual reality, neither good nor bad. There's no spiritual side to life at all. And existentialism, which is at the heart of it, 
is a philosophy holding that reality consists of living and that man makes himself what he is and is responsible personally only to himself for what he makes himself. So, you know, I'm a self-made man, I'm a whatever it is. Those are the realities of, uh, of existentialism because, because it exists, therefore it is. Yeah, that's where the word existentialism comes from. Because it exists, therefore it is. Francis Schaeffer, who's written quite a lot on it and writing in a Christian manifesto, he said, he said this. He said, these two worldviews, Judeo-Christian theism and secular humanism, stand as totals in complete antithesis to each other in content and also in their natural results, including sociological and governmental results, and specifically including law. What is he saying? He's saying it is not, he continues here, that these two worlds, and the two worlds, in other words, a Judeo-Christian worldview and a secular humanism worldview. It's not that these two worldviews are different only in how they understand the nature of reality and existence. They also inevitably, inevitably produce totally different results. Why? Because as you think, that's how you are. The operative word here is inevitably. It's not just that they happen to bring forth different results but it's absolutely inevitable that they will bring forth different results. Now, <laughs> that is exactly why when it comes to making laws, for example, you can never get those who, are, who have a Judeo-Christian background, who have a biblical worldview, and those who have a secular worldview to agree on what the law should look like, whether it's abortion, whether it's whatever it is. The reality is that they can never agree because the worldviews are completely different. And I'm not going to go into the politics of this nation <laughs> because I don't know enough about it and I'm going to get myself in deep water. You can help me, thanks. <laughs> but, but, but the reality is that there is such a huge divide because the two worldviews can never agree. And there is, as he said, inevitably a difference in opinion. And you're going to come up with, with, with completely different worldviews because of the way you think. All right, so that's that one. Next one, number three, is animism. The word animism uh, comes from the understanding of, of, of the spirits animating. Okay? There is a spiritual world that animates the world in which we live. And so... It's almost on the other side of secularism, which says there is no spiritual world. This, this says everything is a spiritual world, and, and this, the, the demonic spirits, they don't call them demonic, but the, spirit, the, 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 the gods control everything, and we are subject to that, and it's a very fatalistic way of thinking. And so um, Hinduism, for example, fits into this. Most of Africa, natural African um, religion, would be animistic. Uh, different to Hinduism, Hindu, the Hindus have thousands and thousands of gods, and uh, they sometimes will accept that Jesus was one of those as well, um, which is a good way in uh, evangelistically. But in, in Africa, there is the understanding that there are the ancestors who demonically control everything, and so there have to be sacrifices made to ancestors. All right, so animism, in this situation, reality is essentially spiritual, Okay, that's what reality is about. The physical world is an illusion. Um, 
but the world is animated by spirits. All right, and then there's the Islamic worldview, which is a worldview of fear and intimidation uh, and manipulation. Allah is not the God, I believe, of the Bible at all, but a foreign God. Now, uh, I guess secularists and, and the world at, at large would probably lump us with the Islamists and say, you know, they, oh, they, they're also religious uh, and they're serving the same God. He is, he is not the same God. Um, I had a very long discussion once with someone who came out of uh, out of Iraq, uh, sorry, out of Iran, um, who had been the second second in charge to the Ayatollah Khomeini at the time that he was leading, uh, and was in line to actually take over in the government, and got born again, and he was a lecturer in Islam at the university there, and he said to me, he's he's now living in in Australia. Uh, with a target on his back, uh, loves Jesus, but he said to me, uh, there is no way on earth that they serve the same God that we as Christians do. So we must not get confused by that. And Islam demands the keeping of rules and laws to gain favor with this foreign God. All right, so it's a religious system which is very, very restrictive. All right, some quick thinking just around some of the worldview and again, I'm going to go back to Africa now, but this, this applies, please, you need to apply to whatever circumstance you can imagine. Um, it, I, I have the statistics and I've worked there, so I can, I can share this with you. But the amount of untruth that exists uh, and, and is propagated as truth by the world is, is incredible. Because Africa as a whole... Um, from an outsider's point of view, is, is a place of desperation and hopelessness and poverty and pessimism. And, you know, everyone who, who lives outside of Africa looks at it and says, oh, it's a, it's a basket case. Um, and some say that it's cursed. But, but the, the truth is it is bountifully blessed with natural resources. And I want to give you some facts about it now. So some of the facts about Africa, it's less than 13% of the world's population. Now, they will tell you in Africa, oh, there are too many people, you know, it's overpopulated. It's not true. It's less than 13% of the world's population, but yet it's the second largest continent. Um, it has 13% of the world's population, but it has 22% of the world's land mass and most of the minerals that exist in the world. And these are just facts, okay? It's been worked out that three countries, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, if they just, those three countries, if they just farmed correctly the agricultural land that is available to them, they would be able to feed the entire continent of over 50 different nations. Just those three. Facts. <laughs> um, it's, it's, just, it's just there's chaos. In the DRC, they're fighting all the time. There's no... Um, and. I, you know, I'm sharing this with you, obviously, because the bottom line is the worldview is horrific. It's an animistic worldview, and it doesn't work. Some of the largest rivers are, you know, exist in, in, uh, in Africa, and 40% of the world's hydroelectric power potential, in other words, the potential to create hydroelectric power, 40% of the world's potential lies in Africa. An absolute fraction has been tapped into. Why? Because... 
there's chaos because of the worldview. And money is not the solution. Um, from 1980 to 1988, the United States pumped $83 billion. Now, that's back in the 1980s, okay, when a dollar was a dollar. Um, <laughs> pumped $83 billion into sub-Saharan Africa. That's the, the, the area that we live in, this, you know, the countries through which the equator lives, uh, uh, runs, and south of that, okay? And the living standards during those years dropped by 1.2% per annum. The GDP dropped by 2%, gross domestic product. Most other indices of well-being dropped as well, and infant mortality rose. Now, I, I know from my medical background, one of the most accurate ways to, uh, to measure the well-being of a nation is to look at its infant mortality, and it rose during the time that all of this money was pumped in, because pumping money into a situation doesn't work. Uh, and 70% of the world's AIDS also uh, developed in, south, in, in the southern part of Africa. Um, why? Because of worldview. Uh, I, you know, when I'm, when I'm in Africa, I, I just say, you know, here's, here, what, is the, what does the Bible say about, about sleeping around? It's very clear. We would, we would solve AIDS immediately if one man was married to one woman for life and never had sex outside of marriage ever. Solve AIDS. There would be no more. Everyone says yes. And how does the secular world solve that? They hand out condoms. So we need to understand there's a, there's a, there are consequences to the way man thinks. Okay. And what Africa needs in order to change what is the potential to be a very, very wealthy and well-off continent is they need a biblical worldview. That's the bottom line. Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, if Africa did develop a biblical worldview, she would lead the world. And there's no reason why she shouldn't, because she would have all the wealth. So the key is stewardship, but there is very little, and it boils down to how you see the world and how you see the world operating. And it's not a quick fix. We've been uh, back home working with uh, Grant Dryden, who has been very involved in rolling out a project called Farming God's Way, which is a biblical understanding of agriculture Phenomenal story of what's, what's happened with it. Um, but he's been, he started off a lot of his work in, in Malawi. He used to ride a bicycle, in fact, from Malawi and then through into Mozambique and just teaching people farming God's way in the early days. And he came across a, a young man called Dixon Shiwala in Malawi. And they be, he, he taught him the biblical worldview of understanding uh, just in terms of sowing and reaping and how God did it. Uh, and it goes back to a man in, Zim, in uh, Zimbabwe um, who was growing tobacco and had a very successful tobacco farm and got born again. And the Lord said to him, you can't grow tobacco because it's damaging people's lives. So he stopped growing tobacco and long and short of it was he lost his farm uh, and he began to work for someone else in the east of Zimbabwe and said to it was a woman, he said to her, uh, he, you know, he would, he would farm the farm for her. And he was desperate because he said to God, if I can't do tobacco, how am I going to make a living? 
And he was living, working through, walking through the forest and praying, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to him about how does a forest grow um, in terms of that which falls on the ground, breaking down, creating compost, you know, the whole thing. And he developed a system of farming which was called Farming God's Way, which we still um, are, are very much involved with because uh, Grant Dryden now runs that out of, out of harvest. Um, and he taught Dixon this, he, and Dixon got it. Now, in Malawi, they would normally have heaped up the soil in, in rows, uh, heaped it up and then put the seeds in the top like that um, and then wonder why nothing grows because either the, the floods would come, wash it all away, or the rain wouldn't come and it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't grow. And so I, can't, I don't have time to go into the details of farming God's way, but it's an incredibly, it's very simple, but it is profound again because it's God's understanding and they, they, they mulch heavily, which they call God's blanket. Um, and... Dixon started doing this, and on his father's piece of ground, which was probably um, about an acre big, or a, you know, maybe a hectare, um, which, which is the size you wouldn't know, but 100 meters by 100 meters, um, something, something like that, okay, <laughs> piece of ground. Um, <laughs> and and he, he, began to, uh, he began to farm that using this technique. And in the first year, on the piece of ground that his father used to get one bag of corn off every year, he, in the first year during the drought, when the neighbors got nothing, he got three bags using this technique. Uh, and within three years, he'd built that up to 67 bags off the same piece of ground that had previously produced for his father one bag, just by changing the way he did it. Now, interesting thing is the neighbors looked at this and carried on mounding their mounds, which is, which is, which is scary. <laughs> How long does it take to get the message? And apparently they're still doing it. That's years down the line. And Dixon has taught, he teaches farming God's way. There's a huge success, but they still continue, many of them, doing what they did. So what I, what I do, and I won't do this to you tonight, but what I normally do when I'm, when I'm teaching this um, I say to everybody, just you know, close your eyes, and I want you to imagine an animal. And it's the one that looks a bit like a horse, but it has black and white stripes on it. And um, what is it? And everybody says, if you're not in America, they say it's a zebra, and here it's a zebra. And I say, that's great. Now, I want to tell you tonight that you have been wrongly informed. The one that looks like, uh, that's got the stripes, is actually, it's actually called donkey. And the one that doesn't have stripes, that's the zebra. And then the next night I come back and I say, everybody close your eyes. And I, I say, okay, I want to just say to them, what do you see when I say zebra? And of course, you see the black and white animal. I say, how long is it going to take you to learn that you got it wrong? It's going to take a long time because your worldview is so deeply inculcated in your life that you just don't change it overnight. Um, and that's the truth. And as Dara Miller said, ideas have consequences. As a man thinks so easy, and you continue to think the same way, you're going to end up you know, producing the same results. Uh, you can't, you know, if you do the same thing over and over, you're going to get the same results. It's, it's a reality of life. Proverbs 23, verse 7 in the King James, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And 90, more than 90% of your brain activity 
is happening under the surface. That you, don't, you have no, no knowledge of what's going on. You, you might have, if you're really sharp and together, you might have 10% of it going up in, in your cognitive in understanding. But 90% is going on below that. And so that's all been influenced by your upbringing, by experiences, by things that have happened to you that you respond to in a particular way. I just want to make sure that we don't get confused. The, the King James says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs in the ESV, the English um, Standard Version, which is a great, uh, it's a great translation, it says this. It says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart's not with you. That's a long way to say, as a man thinks in his heart, but... His heart's not with you because he is thinking differently. He, he, in, he, he's, let me put it this way. His thinking and what he says to you may not be what his heart believes and how his heart is behaving. So eat and drink, he says, but his heart's not with you. So that's, that's the bottom line. And so people will often say to you, yes, yes, and uh, we agree with this and the next thing, but actually they don't because it hasn't become a reality within. People are not what you think they are. They're what their worldview is. That's the reality. All right, quickly, your worldview your world and poverty. So we're looking in, this, in these two sessions at what is my worldview? How do, how do I see the world? Um, and as an exercise now, I just want to say this. Let's let your own thinking now come to a conclusion as to what causes people to be poor and hungry. Um, because your worldview is going to determine your response. All right. And an animist is going to respond like this. He's going to say, it's the gods. Uh, and because it's the gods, there has to be a constant appeasement. So I will have to slaughter a goat. And... We, when I lived, when Jan and I lived on the mission hospital and I worked there, the nursing staff, many of them claimed to be Christians, but when their kids got sick, they would bring them to the, you know, to the outpatients and I'd see the children um, and they would have, they would have slaughtered a goat and they take a bit of the skin of the goat and tie that round, round the arm of the child and then there was a little amulet round the, round the neck uh, with, with uh, what they would call muti, it's uh, localized, uh, lo local medicine that would hang around there with and charms or whatever you see. And then they would, they would, they would want us to pray as well and also use the modern medicine to, to treat the child. And you've got this overlap of stuff. But, um, but to actually get free of that was almost impossible in the society that, or the cultural grouping that we were working in there. Um, because the gods needed to be appeased, and so the, the goat needed to be slaughtered, and the, um, because that's, that's, that's how you get well. Uh, the gods or the spirits cause flooding, they cause earthquakes, they cause droughts and diseases. Um, and so the answer is to appease the gods. Now, Bev's husband, Gavin, told me a wonderful story Gavin has family in Zimbabwe, and they lived next to a man by the name of Falut Mpofu, who was a local man, 
and they had the same piece of ground, same size ground as Fallot did, and they lived on the other side. They had the same piece of ground. Um, Fallot was a local man. They were uh, Caucasians living there and believers, Christians. So they put their, they put their corn in first year. It didn't rain. Gavin's, uh, Gavin's folk dug a well uh, and got the water and put that onto the, onto the crops, and they got a crop, and, uh, and Fallot bought a goat and slaughtered the goat. Um, and the rain goddess didn't get appeased enough, so the rain didn't come, and so he didn't get a crop that year, and uh, they did. And so then the next year, they kept some of the seed, you know, and you know the story, so they built the wealth a bit, and, and next thing they had tractors, and they had boreholes and whatever, and Fallot lost his farm. Um, why? Because it was the gods in his mind. But... The Christian response is, you know, we are told by the Lord to take dominion over. So we take dominion over the situation and we dig a well. We make a plan, which is what they did. And that is the big difference between animism and Christianity. In animism, I am subject to the gods. But in Christianity, I, am, I have dominion over the situation. Massive difference massive consequences as a result. And once you understand that in Africa, you understand why there's, there's such chaos, because the demonic forces are controlling what's going on. Secularism's response to poverty, very different. Secularism believes that the cause is outside of man. In other words, the roots of hunger are outside of man, and there are two responses that come from the secularists. One's an evolutionary response. Uh, those who believe in evolution will give you a particular response. And then there's the revolutionary response. The evolutionists will say that poverty is caused by increased population and uh, results in, in decreased food. Okay? Therefore, we need to you know, reduce the population. They say that the resources are insufficient. Uh, so the answer is decrease the population. So uh, we solve the problem uh, and we'll, we'll get to that. All right, that's their, that's their thinking. The revolutionists, they believe that uh, the, it's the exploitation of the powerful that's caused this. Um, it's, it's actually you folk here in America that's the problem. Um, and that colonialism is at the root of it. Okay? So Western consumerism must cease. So you wonder why there's this huge fight against the worldview that's here where it's working. Um, and and, and we will, we'll look into that. The reason America is doing so well, the United States is doing and has done so well, is because of your worldview and because of the foundational fathers who have put into place biblical principles which are phenomenal. Um, okay, we'll get back to that. But Western consumerism must cease. There must be a redistribution of wealth. So that's why there's such a, an appetite for, con, for, for communism and for this, the whole socialistic system within that. And it can only happen by revolution. So that's, that's the challenge. And so there, there's this myth of the not enough. Here are some facts, okay? Somalia has no resources, but it has a population of 15.44 million. 
I looked these up. They'll probably be a little bit out of date now. I looked them up about three years ago. Um, Japan has no resources. Same thing, okay? Just This is the comparison. Somalia and Japan. Somalia, no resources, population of 15.44 million, 25 people per square kilometer, okay? Japan also is a country with no resources, 127 million population. It's eight times the population of Somalia. 336 people per square kilometer, a much smaller piece of ground as well. I mean, Japan's tiny, and yet they are doing well. The DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, has good resources. 38 people per square kilometer, they live in total chaos. I mean, there's ongoing warfare and chaos and disaster there. When it would be one of the wealthiest nations in the world if they got it together. Uh, compared to Holland, Holland has good resources also. It's also a country with good resources. 488 people per square kilometer. So what are we saying? We're saying the myth, there's a myth around the fact that there's not enough. It's not a case of not enough. It's a case of not enough management of what is there. Um, so Holland's prosperous and stable. Um, all right, are there too many people? That's the other thing the secularists come up with. There are too many people. We have to reduce the population. Well, China has 145 people per square kilometer. Taiwan, 649 per square kilometer. It, that, it doesn't fit. You, you can't say the problem's too many people. You can't say the problem's not enough resources. Those are not borne out as, as facts. Then they blame colonialism and say, oh, it's because there were colonies. But have a look at the countries that were colonized. You can put those up. Australia, United States of America, Hong Kong, and Zimbabwe. Those were all colonies, okay? Then the countries that were never colonized, Switzerland was never colonized, neither was Sweden, but if you compare them to Nepal and Afghanistan, you know, you, 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 there's no correlation between colonization and well-being in a country. So people blame these things, but there's, there's no factual basis to it. All right, that's the secularist's response. They're either going to have evolutionist answers to the problem, or... <laughs> and and, and here's, here's the reality. Just quickly, if you work out what the wealth is of the world, the known wealth in the world, and divided by the population of the world, everybody's going to get a pretty good share of, of what's available. That's the reality, because God's a God of abundance. That's the truth. His word says it, and it is the truth. If you took the entire population of the world, and you can work it out. I've done it for our population back in South Africa, just to, on a smaller scale. But if you took the entire population of the world, apparently, if we all stood next to each other, so you'd get about four people in a square meter. Uh, we, would, we would only fool Jacksonville. So, so, and that's a fact. You can work it out. I, I realize Jacksonville's a big municipal area. But I mean, it's, it's apparently one of the biggest in the world, but the reality is you could all fit in there. Someone else worked out that if everybody just... If you, yeah, I wouldn't like to live in a square. I agree. <laughs> Don't spoil the story. <laughs> the first time my wife's giving me a hard time tonight. Okay. <laughs> She's, yeah. But if it's also been worked out that everybody could have a small house, not a big house, but a small house, 
and the entire world would fit into Texas. Um, may need a little bit more now. The population's grown since that was worked out. But I'm just, what I'm saying is, it's not overpopulated. God has never left us too little. He's the God of abundance. And so whatever the secularists are saying, it's a, it's a stewardship problem. It's not a, it's not a, a, a short-handed God. He's more than able to provide all of our needs. So the theistic response to poverty, in other words, the biblical worldview would say this. What we have to do is we've got to, how do you solve this problem? We have to break the web of lies because the truth is that God is a God of abundance. Can we put that slide up? Theistic response? Thanks. God is a God of abundance, and poverty begins in man's mind. That's where it starts. That's the biblical truth. Poverty begins in man's mind because God has given enough. It's just we don't get it. Um, and God did not create poverty. Man did as a consequence of Satan's lies. So man's at the root of the problem. It's not God that's at the root of the problem. God has given more than enough. Man's messed up badly and doesn't live according to God's ways. And man, by and large, right across the world, lives according to Satan's lies. What are his lies? Well, live like there's no tomorrow. And the truth, if it exists, is unknowable. Life has no value. If it feels good, do it. And on and on and on. So, to summarize again, it is inevitable and unavoidable that what we think is what we are, what we are is what we think, and what we do and how we do it comes from what we think. And this, these thoughts between these two ears <laughs> are what cause the problem or are the solution to the problem. And it's all in scripture, and we'll look at that. Because as a man thinks in his heart, ultimately, in other words, what he truly believes and how he responds, that's how he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And your thoughts have consequences. All right, are there any, any questions? We have a few minutes we might be able to just touch on. Otherwise, we can uh, call it a day, and we will... See you again tomorrow night, and we'll try to... Yeah. I know. What would you say to people who say, Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you? Sorry, Jesus says? You'll Jesus always... said, you'll always have the poor with you. Yeah, okay. Question is, Jesus says, we'll always have the poor with us. I think that's just the reality. It was not, it was not, the, it was not the plan. Um, it was not his heart, certainly not the... He, he knew we'd mess up. I think that's the bottom line. I think it's a, he, was, he was not unrealistic. I mean, he said, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of Christianity has, it's swung, you know, from a, from a religion to this wild faith thing. And I think we, there is a truth. Jesus speaks both truths. The, the, the poor will always be with us, and they have been. They will be until the kingdom comes. 
And then when it comes in its fullness, um, and I'm excited because I think we're getting there slowly, but, but surely, <laughs> um, when, when his kingdom comes, that'll be great. Jenna. What's what? what oh, what's poverty? It's, it's people who are poor who can't afford anything. Yeah, that's poverty. So who, Jesus said we'll always have poor people with us. Yeah. But... Um, we shouldn't have poor Christians. It's just, well, well, we'll look at it in the next few nights. But the reality is we shouldn't because there should, you know, there's God's principles. Uh, uh, that's, that's biblical Hebrew understanding. When God says he wants to bless you, you know, somebody who comes out of a Jewish background is bring it on. We have, and we'll look at that, we have another understanding that, well, you know, it's fine to be poor now because one day in the by and by there's a mansion in the sky. Well, that's not, that's not biblical either. It's, it's a truth. There will be, but we're not meant to be living in, in poverty here. God is a God of abundance. He wants us to prosper. Any other thoughts, comments? Yeah. Yes, so yes. That's right, yeah. Yeah, your, your observation of what poverty would be very different. Um, and just so that you know, it's not only here, because in Australia, one of the churches that we've been involved with there, um, the, the guy we sent across to plant that church, when we visited him once, said, you know, in South Africa, you, you know what to do as the church because there's huge population that's poor and you know there's a lot of work to be done to try to solve that he said our problem here in in australia is the guy who is poor has used the dole money which you know it's their you know what i'm talking about it's the yeah their their government handout at the end of the month he he used his dole money to buy a, an apple iphone now he doesn't have any food <laughs> okay that's a different problem <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Struggled, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the po poverty as you know it here is very different to to uh, what what exists in Africa. And as a result of that, um things like uh, just as it's just interesting, but global economic crisis doesn't hit people who live in a village somewhere as much as it will hit you. Because uh, they'll keep on growing their crops and, yeah, kill a chicken for Sunday lunch. And, you know, just, just a reality, isn't it? Very interesting. So we live in a great world. God's very kind and he's very generous. But we need to learn how to live by his principles. So, Father, thank you as we bring tonight to a close. We are so grateful, Lord, that we are your children and you have given us truths to live by which do cause us to prosper and live in a fullness of life because you came, Jesus, and said to us that the enemy has come to kill and to steal and to destroy, but you've come to give us life and life in all its fullness. And we receive that blessing from you and we want to live life in in all its fullness, and be able to pass that on 
and make disciples of those who will also live a life of fullness. Lord, bless these precious folk. May we all sleep well tonight and be refreshed in the morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.